0: Unfound comes to you through the support of listeners at Patreon, PayPal, and YouTube, along with the help of our gracious advertisers. Unfound is a podcast that has now covered 276 disappearances, over 350 episodes. It has an interview-based format and concentrates on the facts, not the theories. Today. And for the thirteenth time, I will take you back to the beginning, then right up to the present, as I cover recent updates on many of Unfound's cases. I'm Ed Densel, and this is Unfound. Beginning with update episode number 12, I've cut to a minimum the pomp and circumstance of the previous ones. If you'd like to get a detailed report on how Unfound went from nothing to something over the past six years, please listen to the first seven minutes of the update episode that came out a year ago. That would be update episode number 10. Before I go any further, you might be thinking that I sound a little different than usual. You're right. I'm recording this on location at my father's place in Renfrew, Pennsylvania. I did not bring my microphone, the stand, and some of the other equipment I need to use that microphone uh, because it just would not fit in my bag to fly up here. So I'm using the MacBook microphone. I've already tested it out. Everything's going to be fine. It's just going to sound a little different than usual. But I can assure you, you will hear every word. So let's do this. Unfound news. Right about the time this episode becomes available to the public, I uh, hopefully will be landing back in Tampa to get back to my regular routine of hermitness and late nights. I had a good eight days with my dad in Pennsylvania. Next, there will be no newsletter and Unfound Now for this month. Too much going on and no time to do either while I was in Pennsylvania. Will they come back at the end of January? Hard to say, because I'm going to be making some changes around here. Finally, I thank all of you for making 2022 The best unfound year yet. See you in 2023. I know many of you have listened to the updates before, maybe not all of the previous 12, but at least a few of them. And pretty much since the beginning, the format has stayed the same. Uh, The format is going to stay the same for this one. However, I'm sure that Unfound has picked up some new listeners since the previous update episode at the end of August of 2022. So, once again, I'm going to go through how I do this so these new people can understand the process. I started doing these update episodes, I think, in 2018 and we are now on update episode number 13 and they come out every three months the end of April the end of August and now here at the end of December so the next one will be at the end of April of 2023 so the last Friday of April 2023 so when you see that it's an update episode this means any updates on any disappearance that unfound is covered, any update that has happened since the last update episode. So everything I'm going to be talking about here in update episode number thir- number thirteen, all of this occurred since the end of August or the technically the beginning of September of 2022. So these are updates. Anything uh, that happened in September, October. November or December of 2022. Likewise, with the previous one from August 2022, those were any updates in any of Unfound's cases going back, way back to the first one of Susie Lyle. That one would have contained, uh, did contain updates from May, June, July, August of 2022. Likewise, when the next one does happen at the end of April, anything that happens between January 1st. Uh, through the end of April will be included in that one. So I don't want, for all of you new people, new people. I don't want you to think this update episode is covering something that happened uh, a few years ago. This is everything that has happened just in the last four months. Also, the way I do this is, um, of course, it's getting a little more difficult these days given that there are 276 disappearances. But what I do is I go back and do as best I can to get a handle on any changes in any of the investigations for any of these disappearances in the last four months. Yes, all 270, some of them. And what I then do is I do not write a script. What I do is I just put some notes on the screen for each of the disappearances that I'm going to be talking about, and I fill in that just by talking off the top of my head. So if you hear any ums and ers and you knows, and maybe even... Some things are repeated, and I know, I I realize how much I use the phrase once again so much. I don't know if that's a nervous tick or what. But that is how I do this. So on my Mac uh, is where I record the episodes, but on my HP or is where the notes are, and I just go from one disappearance to the next. What I will do is I will read the intro that little part that you hear before every episode, before the music starts, I will read that for each one of these disappearances, just so everybody is reminded what the disappearance, the very general idea of the disappearance was and what was known at the time in just a few sentences. And then I will go right into the update. There are uh, maybe a little bit of a difference this time is I do have a couple articles that I will be We'll be reading word for word. But for the most part, it's just some notes on the screen, just reminding me of what the update is, and then I take it over from there. So once all of the updates are done, that would be for the regular Friday episodes and the Unfound it Now episodes, the monthly series that is done on YouTube. After that, we will have a moment of silence as I read off all of the names of the missing people covered, featured, on Unfound going back to day one for both the regular episodes, the Friday podcast, and the Unfound now uh, missing people as well. So let's get started. The first update, Jason Jolkowski. Jason Jolkowski was a 19-year-old from Omaha, Nebraska. He had a passion for broadcasting and the Chicago Cubs. On the morning of June, thir- uh, June 13th, 2001, his car was in the shop. So he began his 10-minute walk to meet a co-worker who would give him a ride to work. Jason never reached the rendezvous, rendezvous location, and he was never seen again. The update for this is that we actually revisited jason's uh, disappearance just a couple months ago i think this was right around the time that i went to greeley colorado to testify in uh the murder trial of um janelle matthews uh, murdered seemingly by steve pankey and that uh, jason's uh what we do here, we call them revisited episodes. We revisited his disappearance. It's still unsolved. And it's, I wanted to do that because Jason's disappearance still continues to be one of the most confounding, in my opinion. Here it was. It was the second disappearance we ever featured on Unfound going back to September of 2016. And it has stood the test of time, I guess, is one of the, the most uh, the one of the hardest ones to understand. And so gave um myself an opportunity to use all of my education to look at it again with new again with new eyes, unlike back then when I was a newbie at all this. Um, also guess it gave a lot of the listeners who have learned a lot in the last six years to look at it again. Here the interview that I did was with his mother Kelly back then. And then it also gave me an opportunity to talk to Unfound's Think Tank over there at patreon.com forward slash Unfound Podcast about his disappearance. So we do those. Yeah, we do that. We revisit disappearances, what, maybe three times a year. So there's probably one revisited episode per every update episode. And so for this time, it was uh, Jason's. I'm glad we had an opportunity to do that. Uh, But really, as much as I've learned over the past six years, my opinion has not changed that much. I still think that he got picked up by someone he knew, uh, some type of authority figure, maybe a teacher, a coach, a priest, someone like that, and then something happened. But that's the update, that we revisited Jason's disappearance uh, for the first time in over – six years next update joshua gimond joshua cheney gimond was a 20 year old student at st john's university in collegeville minnesota on the night of november 9th 2002 he was playing cards with his friends in their dorm room around 11 p.m he left the room his friends thinking he went back to his dorm he was never seen again the update here begins with – there has been a, a podcast that got started here in 2022, I think during the summer of 2022, called Simply Vanished. And at least to start, it had multiple episodes on Josh, uh, Josh's disappearance. I now see here in December of 2022 that the host has started to branch out into some other disappearances. But uh, and if you haven't listened uh, to that podcast, I would recommend you go do so. Uh, once again, it's called uh, Simply Vanished. It's on Spotify, iTunes, and elsewhere. And you should know that coincidentally, the the name of the host, his name is also Josh. And I had a top opportunity to speak to him before he got started with the podcast. And then uh, during the process of him releasing uh, these episodes concerning Joshua Guimond's disappearance. Uh, Some of the things that have gone on because of this podcast is that, first of all, there's been a lot of talk about what was on Joshua Guimon's computer at the time. It seems uh, within the last uh, couple years, if not just even within the past year, just in 2022 alone, there's been a deeper look at josh's computer and the conclusion that the host has simply vanished has come to that is that joshua gimond was gay now i will tell you having listened to all of those episodes i'm not as convinced you can listen to it and decide for yourself and where what has gone from that is it is it possible that joshua Guimond was like covering things up and was he going to see another man that night and, and then something happened? Certainly possible. I, I, the way I understand it, to me, the evidence is somewhat flimsy. Uh, we hear a lot of things about men going missing due to their sexuality. Craig Freer, Brian Schaefer, um, Stephen Kocher. And of course, all of those are still unsolved. But I feel the same way about those as, as well. There, There's just nothing that convinced me about any – for any reason. There was no reason for me to believe they were anything than what they portrayed to the public and that was being uh, homo- uh, heterosexual. Uh, but I think where this came from, there was – there were a couple stories uh, from the Collegeville area about – men who had been picked up and threatened and somehow they got away. I'll say that I don't believe those stories either. We hear a lot of crazy stories, a lot of disappearances that we've covered have stories like that. It just never seems they, they, um, turn out to be true, but I certainly could be wrong. The other, um, part that has come out of this kind of related to the podcast, but, but, um, there were a bunch of men's pictures found on Josh's computer and those pictures were finally made public within the last few months. I don't know what's come of it. Uh, I could not find anything that they've been able to put names to any of these men, but I think because these the pictures of these men were on Josh's computer, it is leading people to think that uh this might have been some dating site there were dating sites on the internet back 20 years ago and that he could have been trying to meet men over the internet maybe these are the pictures of some of those men trying to track these people down to see what's up with them having i guess if i guess what i would say is that if it makes you gay that you have pictures of men on your computer, then I guess that means I am gay and a lot of other straight men are gay too. I don't know what to make of it. it once again, it just seems uh, a bit flimsy to me. But on the other hand, if they have trouble tracking these guys down and maybe these guys, are, even if they are tracked down, you know, at least one of them is evasive about all of it. Maybe there's um, – maybe there is something – there. I guess overall what I would say is that all this computer stuff is interesting, but that doesn't necessarily mean to me that it's compelling. We also have to remember that as has been known for a while that multiple people had access to Josh Kimon's computer, not just him. So who knows what who what could have been done on his computer when he wasn't around. I can even go back to my college days, which were 10 years before Josh even went missing, is that it was quite common for people who had computers. I did not have a personal computer, but friends of mine did. They'd let you just go in and use it. If you wanted to type up something or print something, and they had a couple you know, rudimentary video games on there, they'd just let you use the computer whenever you whenever you wanted, as long as they trusted you. So I can't help but think that could have been going on here. It could be that there was some guy in Josh's dorm who was gay, but nobody knew, and he was the one who was covering up his sexuality. I don't think there are any facts to dispute that scenario as well. So interesting. But so far to me, as far as I can tell, having listened to all the episodes from this podcast Simply Vanished and also doing some independent reading of these stories that have come out recently, it's interesting, but it's not compelling to me yet. Next update, Peggy and Patty McDaniel. Peggy and Patty McDaniel were 17-year-old sisters from New Jersey staying with their father in Live Oak, Florida. Unbeknownst to their, parent, their parents, in mid-August of 79, 1979, they took a trip to the Fort Lauderdale area. And a month later, on September 15th, the sisters were supposed to go to a club in Pompano Beach with a man they met. A few days later, this man was found shot dead. The girls were never seen again. You know that uh, I've gotten to know Peggy and Patty's mother, Joyce Rivetuzo, very well since unfound covered their disappearances in the spring of 2017 and the update here is that uh just within the last few months a relative of this murdered man that murder is still unsolved by the way their disappearances are unsolved this murder is unsolved and they are believed to all be connected together Uh, through these two guys who brought Peggy and Patty down to the, the Southeast area of Florida. One of those guys, unfortunately is deceased. The other guy is actually still alive, but one of the relatives of the murdered man had, um, got, is now in the discussion group and posted something about how his family has just been tormented by this man's murder for all these years, over 40 years. I've tried to reach out to him a couple times. I've not had a chance, um, just haven't clicked yet, Uh, I'd certainly like to talk to this relative who has posted in the discussion group on Facebook and get his family's uh, insight. Maybe there's things he can't say publicly or type publicly in the group. Uh, I'm going to try to talk to him hopefully very uh, soon, uh, very early in 2023, but that is the first time anybody from his family has made themselves known uh, to me or to anybody connected to Peggy and Patty's uh, disappearances who are looking into them. So that is the update. This guy um, is now in the group and hopefully I can make a conversation with him happen in 2023, get maybe an even better, more complete uh, point of view of everything that was going on at that time. Next update. Ashley Eifert, Ashley Marie Eifert, was a 19-year-old from Harahan, Louisiana. She was seven months pregnant and looking forward to being a mom. On January 9th, 2003, she went to the home of a woman who was going to sell Ashley some baby furniture. Ashley allegedly departed the residence without buying anything, arguing with someone on her phone as she walked across the street. She was never seen again. You should know this is something uh, that I looked at. When we featured Ashley's disappearance back in 2017, I could not find no find no evidence of it. And it seemed like it, it became a non-topic for a while. But now within the last couple months, it seems like it has popped up again. And that the woman who had this baby furniture who we know her name and uh, know the address where she lived at the time, all of that. It's popped up again that there is a connection between her and Ashley's boyfriend, the father of her seven month uh, to be baby. Uh, She was going to have this baby in a couple months. She was pregnant. It was, he was the father And there's allegedly a connection actually between this woman who had this baby furniture and um, Ashley's baby daddy. Is this real or not? I will admit that uh, I put about a half hour recently in trying to look all over that again. Between Since I know the woman's name who had the furniture, since I know the, the boyfriend's name. I could not find any connection between the two. I I think this disappearance certainly would be um, uh, easier to understand if there were. But really, even without the connection, I think that this disappearance is fairly easy to understand. That The the boyfriend didn't want to be a father. And that the story went that Ashley couldn't start a car when she went back out to it. So she called him and he came and picked her up and something happened. That's what I believe. Of course, if you believe that maybe that the boyfriend and this woman with the furniture were connected somehow, then this involves a conspiracy, which may add some complexity to it. It's just I cannot verify this. I hear a lot about it. I will tell you that Ashley's mother contacted me telling me this recently. I've looked into it for myself. I've tried to get back in contact with her. I've not been able to do that. I don't know. You should know if you you forget the way Ashley even ran into this woman. Ashley went to – a doctor regarding her pregnancy, and this woman was the story went that this woman was actually in the office too and had, had had a miscarriage, and she was there to get checked out to make everything she was okay. Otherwise, and the two started talking. This woman had this baby furniture because she thought she was going to be a mother soon, and then she couldn't use it because she had a miscarriage, and so she ended up she was going to sell or give this baby furniture to ashley it does sound like maybe too good of a feel-good story i admit it's just i've never been able to establish any contact uh sort of connection if there was some sort of conspiracy to lure ashley to this house but really you don't even need that to to think really what happened here my opinion but that's the update this just this kind of um connection trying to be established again maybe there is, and is i'm just missing it but i have not been able to find any connection between the two people next update chip campbell chip michael campbell was a 36 year old from milton florida he had a big family and an even bigger heart on march 8th 2016 he was recorded on a video camera walking into a restroom at a circle k he had two backpacks over his shoulder. He exited the restroom without them. Although the bags were found, he was never seen again. You all know that I've gotten to know Chip's family very well over the past uh, five years. In particular, his uh, sister Lisa, who was the guest back in 2017. And I got to meet, uh, I'll, I wouldn't necessarily say everybody in his family, but many of the people in his family about three years ago, three and a half years ago. Man, it seems like yesterday. I met them. Uh, we had lunch together at a um, – what is what – is, one of those tomatoes, those buffet places. They're now out of business. I can't – I want to say Rotten Tomatoes, but it's not called that. But um, what is the place called? OK. It's called Sweet Tomatoes. We met at Sweet uh, Tomatoes three and a half years ago. And it was a great time. Uh, I was prese- They presented me with a painting of a lighthouse. Uh, you could see it in the old uh, room where I used to do the live shows. You could see it on the, the one back wall, though it was never properly lit. But uh, I've gotten to know uh, the family very, very well. But unfortunately, Chip's father died within this past month. So uh, very sad. You know how deaths uh, of people connected to missing people... Uh, affect me i i feel horrible 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 every time a guest has died we've had what seven of those now seven or eight of them and i feel bad every time and this also i'm sure that chip's father was hoping to live to see the day that he would find out what happened to chip alive or deceased and it's very sad Uh, Very sad, but um, we'll just keep trying to do our best. But uh, Chip Campbell's father died within uh, the past month. And, of course, my sympathy continues to go out to everybody in Chip's family. Next update, Flight 370. MH370 was a Malaysia Airlines flight originating in Kuala Lumpur. Its destination was Beijing, China. On the night of March eighth, twenty fourteen, while flying over the South China Sea, all of its communication equipment was shut off, making it invisible to air traffic control. An hour later, Malaysian military radar tracked this flight heading northwest up the Malacca Strait. Flight three hundred and seventy was never seen. Flight three hundred and seventy was never seen again. Remember that uh, friend of the program, Jeff Wise, was the guest. I still think he is the foremost authority on this disappearance but the update is just within the last few months another a piece of the plane has been found uh, along the east african coast or maybe even on that island off of east africa called madagascar and it's not like it just floated up on shore recently it, it seems that somebody was using it were they using it as a washing board or an ironing board or something like that they they were using it as some sort of solid object like for a table or something and it turned out that that this uh was a part from some sort of commercial airline now the problem is that there is a belief out there and i think it's held by jeff wise himself is that all of these pieces that have been found over the years since have all been planted none of them coincidentally or not, have any markings to prove that they were ever part of the jet that was Flight 370, as you realize that uh, all Boeing 777s are the same, except for the outside painting of them, and then maybe the airlines choose their, you, you know, unique colors for their seats, so everything matches up. If you've flown Spirit or Southwest or United or Allegiant or whatever, that the jets themselves are the same. It's the painting, the logo, and then the interior colors that are the main difference. Differences, and none of these pieces. There, I guess what I'm saying: all these pieces are somewhat generic. None of them had any painting on them that should that would say they were from a Malaysian Airlines. JET, whether it be a 777 or anything else. So that's really called into question all of this. And what also was going on, there was a particular guy that was finding most of this and how was he doing that? There have been studies done on these pieces that have ended up in the West Indian Ocean uh, doing a lot of um uh, flora and fauna, I guess, uh, studies on them, microbes and seaweed And mollusks and everything, and it just doesn't seem to ever check out right that these items really floated in the water for as long as they should have to make it from the East Indian Ocean to the West Indian Ocean. So I'm not sure what to make about all this. I have my doubts. I continue to believe that Jeff Wise is certainly on to something with uh, his theory, which is certainly outside of the norm. But, yes, another piece uh, that had been, I guess, washed up on shore years ago. Somebody was using it. Maybe the person really didn't know where it was from. But it is now, I guess, in the hands of authorities. And I guess they're believing that this is from Flight 370, although I don't think there's any proof of that. Next update, Tyler Stice. Tyler Stice was a 20-year-old from Kingman, Arizona. He was an avid gamer, and his love and joy was his black Ford Mustang. On the morning of June 21st, 2016, Tyler left for work, a job at a furniture company. He never arrived. A few days later, his car was found in the parking lot of a mountain camping area outside of Kingman. He was never seen again. The update here is... I don't know if this is much of an update, but I thought all of you would want to uh, know something. You may remember, uh, people who've been with the podcast maybe for at least the last three years, you may remember that a few years ago, uh, a YouTube channel, which I'm not going to mention, and asked for permission to use the interview I did with Tyler's sister, uh, Jessica Curtis, in their presentation of Tyler's Disappearance and I said no. And the host, uh, did he or she, maybe it's he or she, I really don't know. But the person posted my response and kind of got very snarky with me saying no. Now, I think, you know, hopefully by this time, everybody who listens to this podcast knows I say no to everybody for reasons that I've gone over on and over. And over many times, although not recently. I'm not going over it again. There are reasons that I always say no. This is the reason when 48 Hours played a portion of the Steve Pankey interview uh, earlier this year that the answer is still no. If they would have asked, I would have said no. There are fair use rules here in the United States, but if somebody's going to ask me, the answer is always no. Now, given the The amount of subscribers and views that this YouTube channel gets, you would think that I would have been inundated with like a thousand of these emails because what happened after this is a couple people did email me, you're so rude, you're this, you're that, for not, aren't you trying to help solve these disappearances? The answer is always no. I know more about my work than you know about my work, person emailing me. There are reasons. And it has nothing to do with me being rude. I'm one of the most gracious true crime podcast hosts out there. Most One of the most giving that has ever existed. But the answer is always no. But what's funny to me is that allegedly this channel has all these views and subscribers and everything. I have maybe gotten 10 snarky messages. Despite this host featuring my you know, response to him very prominently after I said no to him, I've gotten maybe 10. And the only reason I'm talking about this, I'd totally forgotten about all of this. But just within the last couple of weeks, somebody posted on a YouTube video that had nothing to do with Tyler Stice about this. You know, why is it you said no to that other channel about using uh, that, allowing them to use uh, the interview that you did with Tyler's sister just out of nowhere? I totally forgot all about it. And then here it popped up again. So there you go. Uh, but being that there are only maybe I've gotten ten messages or po- posts or comments like that in the past three years, it tells me something. Uh, but this is neither the time nor the place. But it's only despite all the the views and subscribers the channel has gotten, I've only gotten like ten. Messages like that. You would think that there would be more. Moving on. Bill Underhill. This is one of the uh, few updates where I'm going to read an actual news story. William Campbell Underhill was a 20-year-old from Minneapolis, Minnesota. He was an avid fisherman and had overcome polio as a child. On March 2nd, 1969, he went to a house party attended by many of his high school friends. At some point, he left, departing well before the festivities ended. He was never seen again. And so here is the article uh, that was written – very recently. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to read parts of it. A 20 years, a 20 after 20 year old university of Minnesota student, William Bill Underhill left a dinky town party in 1969. His family had no initial concerns about his whereabouts. Decades later, his Bill's family is still waiting for him to come home. Now more than 50 years later, Bill's sisters, Mary and Sarah said new discoveries, from additional investigators have made them feel more hopeful than ever about finding answers to their brother's disappearance. Bill lived with his two sisters and parents in St. Paul near St. Anthony Park and the university where Bill's father was a professor. And the guest for that episode was Mary Underhill who um, is quoted in this article. Um, let me move down here. Um Bill attended the university with his sister Sarah during the Vietnam War when fears of being drafted were prominent among students. Terry uh, said – family members said Bill was uh, casually uh, dating Terry Holmberg at the time, at the time of his disappearance. And later uh, Mary says that the family was contacted by the draft board, although they learned Bill had been unlikely to be drafted. However, she said they believe Bill contemplated – completed a draft physical but remain unable to confirm it on the night of approximately March 1st. I've already gone over the uh, the details of his disappearance. Um, But something in here, something uh, believed to be that night, sometime believed to be that night, Terry Holmberg, Bill's girlfriend, said she – or ex-girlfriend said she received a call from Bill that immediately made her concerned. He called and I could just tell something was wrong. He sounded very sad and he was saying goodbye. He told me to stay a nice person and he wouldn't tell me where he was. I thought maybe he was breaking up with me. I didn't realize until later he had disappeared. Uh, Bill was discovered to be missing after his friends called his parents days later asking about him and they realized no one knew where he was. The Underhills eventually went to the St. Paul Police Department for help, but no report was made at the time. An investigation into his disappearance was never conducted. Um, uh, The St. Paul Police Department confirmed no records exist of Bill's initial missing persons case. However, a report was created in 2013 after the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension filed a request on the Underhill's behalf. Weeks turned into years waiting for Bill to come home. Mary Underhill said, and when Bill didn't come back for her birthday, Mary grew up without answers. Oddly written article, dare I say it. And um, through working with various people and organizations, um, she and the sisters have discovered new information about Bill, including a mysterious watch that was gifted to him in 1968, as well as a final uncashed paycheck. And investigators said they are attempting to verify the paycheck. I feel like I know him better now. I'm very curious about him, Mary Hill said regarding her brother. He's kind of frozen in time. He he never gets older in terms of who I picture. It would just be wonderful to either know he was alive somewhere or to find his remains and be able to bury him, to have that ritual, that way of honoring somebody's life. So that's an article on a disappearance that is now 53 years old uh, that just came out within the last couple months. I will tell you that this disappearance plays out like many we've covered on Unfound men by themselves, out late at night, uh, go missing. Maybe maybe it's a little bit like Kevin Nguyen's disappearance. That's um, one just off the top of my head. There's nothing that I was told at the time, nothing that I've discovered since then to believe that there was any foul play in Bill's disappearance, but it does seem like he was going through some things. And it should be known that very near to where this party was and seemingly where he made this call from is right along uh, the Mississippi River. So this is just something we have to keep in mind for all of this. But that's the update. I think that's maybe the first article that has been written been written about Bill's disappearance in quite a long time. Um, but um, better than nothing for sure. Next update. Nicholas Masucci. Nicholas James Masucci was a 60-year-old from Kearney, New Jersey. He was a businessman and sharp dresser. On September 18th, 1974, he had lunch with his daughter. Then he said he was driving to Brooklyn for business, but he didn't say who he was, who he was meeting. A couple days later, his car was found in Manhattan. He was never seen again. Uh, the update here is that uh, Fran continues to correspond with my assistant, Eric, Dr. Eric Grabowski and i think fran is trying to get some sort of maybe film done maybe a documentary about her father and his disappearance and all of the um all of the things that he was into uh he was connected to the mob he was not uh i don't think a main player but as i think we talked about at the time of his uh, episode that he had connections to some odd families. He was mentioned in FBI reports regarding organized crime in New York City, uh, New Jersey area. And maybe all of that uh, can be put into some sort of documentary, something like that. In fact, I just spoke to Fran recently about all of this. However, you should know though that without saying too much, uh, Fran's personal theory as to what happened to her father goes in a completely different directions. So, you know how these things go with documentaries and making films. We'll see if it happens. Uh if it's going to be good, certainly will not be done in 2023 because these things take time, but it does seem like something has started uh, to get cooked up here. Next update, Tom Brown. Thomas Kelly Brown was an 18-year-old from Canadian Texas. He was president of his class and loved acting and public speaking. On the night of November 23rd, 2016, Thomas was on his way home after hanging out with friends. He stopped to get gas in his Dodge Durango. He was never seen again. We now know that in early 2019, after Unfound had already covered his disappearance, his remains were found about 12 miles away from his Dodge Durango. And the drama, the fiasco, the sensationalism, the conjecture, the theorizing and everything else has continued ever since. The only update I would say is that despite all the talk, despite all of Michael Crane's appearances on that radio station hosted by that guy in Texas, not the investigation has not moved forward at all. A lot of talking, a lot of, um, as you've heard me say... Before about maybe Tom's disappearance and a few others that is not Unfound is covered and maybe, of course, quite a few that Unfound is not covered, Tom Brown's disappearance is a cottage industry. Anybody who wants to get into true crime podcasting or get some attention for their TikTok account or Twitter account or maybe they're looking in to get into um, being paid to try to solve uh, missing persons cases, which – as I tell all families, you never pay anybody a dime, ever, ever, never, ever, ever, never, ever. You never give anybody any money regards to trying to solve your son or daughters, your siblings, your parents' disappearance. Never do that. But this kind of feels to me like what's going on uh, right now, people v- jockeying for position and the, the disappearance itself. Uh, continues to stand still, and it's like trench warfare during World War One. Nobody can move either way. No progress is being made anywhere. Um, and it's very unfortunate. I haven't been – wasn't involved in since, since the beginning. Uh, when Unfound covered Tom's disappearance in the summer of 2018, of course that would have been about – what was that? I guess I would say a little over a year and a half after Tom went missing. And I still remember the first message I ever got regarding it. A friend of Penny's had contacted me. And I've since then, I've been watching all of course I covered it and then have watched everything since. It has been the biggest mess that I've seen in the last, what would it be, four and a half years since I covered Tom's disappearance and it has every it has nothing to do with tom brown has nothing to do with his family in my opinion but it has everything to do with um, the people the family has chosen to you know be in league with if you want to put that way ending a sentence with a preposition but has everything to do with of course the investigation at the time nathan lewis and others Um, That was bad, but we cover a lot of disappearances that have horrible investigations with people not knowing what to do, do. and then all of the other people who have jumped in since. But surely Tom is not to blame for this. Surely not. But he and his death, whether by foul play, suicide, accident, whatever else, he and his reputation – Continue to suffer for it. I, I, I continue to say these people call themselves professionals. It's a joke. It's an absolute joke. It's horrible. And I think I can say this. Now that with 276 disappearances doing this for six over six years, none of these people know what they're doing. This Michael Crane guy, Phil Klein, all these other people who are supposed to be professionals regarding this – None of them. It's disgusting. And how do I know? The investigation is at a standstill, but these guys can't stay away from microphones and TV cameras and everything else. That's how I know it's a mess. Next update Nico Lisi. Nico Anthony Lisi was an 18-year-old from Addison, New York. He was a wrestler and loved the outdoors. On September 30th, 2011, he and another young man left New York in a pickup truck. Over the next few days, Nico's traveling companion arrived in Michigan, while Nico was seen by a friend in Franklin, Tennessee, alone. He was never seen again. The update here is that if you've been following these update episodes for a while, you know that Nico's name... Has not been mentioned uh, very often, but the update here is that there were remains found in Franklin, Tennessee within the last couple of months. You might have seen that story, but you might not have seen uh, that the remains were determined to not be Nico, Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, depending, I guess, how you look at it. But not Nico. Uh, Nico's – it's not forgotten. Surely I remember all of the specifics uh, – well, not the specifics, but a lot of the, the general information regarding his disappearance, but it is a unique one. Somebody in New York goes to Tennessee, and then you might also remember that his truck was eventually found stripped down um, sometime after he went missing, and, uh, but unfortunately uh, it has not led to finding Nico. But that is the update. Uh, Remains found, but not Nico Lisi. Next update, Kelly Sims. Kelly Diane Sims was a 27-year-old from Kelso, Washington. She was a mother who loved playing pool and darts. On the early morning of October 16th, 1990, Kelly was dropped off two blocks from a local bar because the driver, a friend, was headed in a different direction. Kelly never arrived at her destination. She was never seen again. You should know that uh, for the interview I did for Kelly's episode, it was a friend of hers. And I was instructed at that time. This has been a disappearance, I think, that we covered sometime in 2019. The family had directed me to contact uh this particular friend and that is who you hear on that episode and i thought this friend did a fantastic job well within the last couple months uh the family the same family the same people who told me to con to talk to this woman and interview her for the episode now keep in mind the episode's been out for over three years the same people who told me to talk to her and interview her and the episode's been out for three years now have contacted me and told me to take the episode down. Uh, Here's one thing Ed Ed Densel doesn't do. He doesn't take down episodes. I don't do that. Do Maybe do some other things. But I do not take down episodes once they have been posted. And I told this family member that. And that's how I ended up earning a, or unfound myself, ended up earning a very bad review that you can now read uh, for the Facebook page. Uh, that person uh, wrote something there, and I've just left it there. And just so you know who that is, that is actually one of Kelly Sims's family members. And uh, this is one of those ways in that, as I've tried to explain different ways at different times, I don't consider myself to be necessarily an advocate. I think an advocate in this position probably would take down an interview or something, anything to please the family, that's not really what I do. I'm here to help, but there's also the job of reporting and getting things correct and truthful and factual that also plays a huge role in what I do. And in this particular case, I think the, the family, I don't know why they've changed their minds. And like I said, the interview has been out there for three years, and it's unchanged for all these three years. They're only now getting around to not liking the interview or something. I just don't know. But I don't take down interviews. I don't take down episodes. Uh, this is why we go through the process of talking to people, trying to talk to the – Absolutely the correct person. We go over the information. I put these interview outlines together. Uh, if it is somebody who necessarily isn't connected to the family, I'm making sure that the family says, yeah, this person certainly is okay to talk about our missing loved one. And the guest for Kelly Sims is, was absolutely the best person. And the family said so. This is some of the things that uh, – this probably goes on behind the scenes more – than you would ever realize. But I thought uh, you should know about this particular one because you might run into that review of the Facebook page and it was this person's way of trying to get at me and, and paint me in a very bad light. But just remember, the person who wrote that is the very part of the very same family who said to talk to the guest who I eventually interviewed. So try to make sense of that. Next update, Barbara Frame. Barbara Sue Frame was a 38-year-old from Zanesville, Ohio. She was the mother of three and worked for the subsidiary of a car manufacturer. On January 30th, 1985, at approximately 5 p.m., her ex-husband came over to tell Barbara their divorce lawyer needed to see her. Barbara left her house for this appointment. She was never seen again. The update is you might remember... One of the previous updates, it's been a while, maybe a year, that uh, some remains were found in Zanesville. And this is the follow-up story. The human remains found at Chaps Run Park in late January, I think of January of 2021, have been identified as a Zanesville man missing since uh, summer she, uh, summer of the year before. Chief Tony Corey confirmed the results of a DNA analysis, came back to Justin Tittman. A 32-year-old homeless man known to stay in the area where his body was discovered, Tidman's mother Donna Ramsey announced the news of his death on a Facebook page created to bring awareness to his case. Breaks my heart to make this post. I'm not sure my mind is even thinking properly. I never thought I'd have anything to do. Would have anything to do like this. We got a call today. The body found in and Park was Justin. At this time, Corey could not say the cause of death rather the case cases classified for investigation purposes, his mother, however, believes foul play was involved. On Sunday, family and friends of Titman are hosting an awareness event for missing and murdered persons. So, that person, the remains that were found in Zanesville, not Barbara Frame. As I stated before with uh, Nico Lisi's update, we find remains like this, that they're not the person we're looking for. Is that good news or bad news? I guess it just depends. Next update, Jonathan Estes. Jonathan Paul Estes was a 35-year-old father of two from Boogchito, Mississippi. He worked in construction and was active in his church. On June 2nd, 2018, Jonathan was at home and spoke to his best friend. Jonathan then said he was going outside to see whether police were going up and down his road. He was never seen again. Uh, The update here is that his ex-wife still has not gone on trial trial for the theft of that type of um, tractor uh, machine they call a Bobcat, to remind all of you that after Jonathan went missing, his ex-wife started selling stuff, including this piece of equipment. The problem was it wasn't hers and it wasn't Jonathan's, it was Jonathan's father's. She sold it, and at the time of the episode when it came out, that piece of equipment was still missing, and it was believed at least at the time the episode came out that this could have something to do with Jonathan's disappearance. I think now that we know that it isn't or it wasn't and the piece of equipment, this Bob cap was eventually found and returned to the rightful owner. But in the process, Jonathan's ex-wife is supposed to go on trial for the theft of this. Still no word of when this trial is ever going to happen. Um, I think I had spoken to Jonathan's sister, Melissa, who was the guest back then. Uh, I think I spoke to her the summer before the, the the last update and there was no news. And I think that that's what it's going on now. So the update is that this trial that you would think would have happened by now. I mean, we've had the Carlos Rodriguez trial. We have had the Steve Pankey trial. We've had some other things that have gone on with trials now that COVID is. I know people are still getting it, but you know what I mean? Uh, that has kind of receded, this hasn't happened yet. Why? I don't know. Next update, Molly Miller and Colt Haynes. Molly Miller and Colt Haynes were respectively 17 and 21-year-olds from Wilson, Oklahoma. They'd only known each other a week, but might have been headed toward a relationship. On the evening of July 7th, 2013, Molly and Colt were passengers in a car that got involved in a police chase. The vehicle got ditched and the driver made it back home to his house the next morning while Molly and Colt seemingly got lost trying to call friends to pick them up. They were never seen again. There's a podcast uh, that has come out called Partners in Crime. Now, you should know the that is the title of a couple different podcasts out there. Um, the one you should be looking for is the one that is hosted by the Dorfmans. This is a local one, I think, to Oklahoma. Maybe there are local reporters that have decided to work on this. I've not had a chance to listen to it, but maybe you want to check it out. But uh, that is kind of the update that there is now a a podcast devoted exclusively to Colt and Molly's disappearances. Overall, I still think there's something that is completely misunderstood about this disappearance. Uh, obviously, even well before Unfound got involved, and this episode I think came out in 2019 or into 2020, um, a lot of attention has been given It's really unique circumstances. And you would think that it would have been solved by now. I just have to be honest. I think there's still something about all of it that is not understood very well. Very well, could have been foul play, but I just don't think foul play is as clear-cut a great theory as everybody else seems to think. I'm still confused on how they were out there all night and nobody could find them, but suddenly somebody else went in there and found them right away and killed Mo- Molly and Colt. It's a little hard to understand. And couldn't they have just followed the car tracks? With their phones, they could use as uh, flashlights, follow the car tracks. It was out in the, you know, tore up all this grass and mud, just followed the tire tracks right to the main road. Could they not have done that? It's just a little confusing to me. And that it just seems like there's just a huge piece of that that's missing. And I don't mean the piece that would actually solve it, but... I think there was more that was going on maybe between Molly and Colt just themselves than that had nothing to do with the driver con nip. I, I can't rule that out. I just think if it was just as simple as them being deserted then people went out there and killed them or whatever, this would have been solved by now because it's so many moving parts, a lot of uh, – this is not – the people doing this were not a bunch of James Bond supervillains. So – and I realized the local sheriff was bad. I, I just don't know how much that really has played a role in keeping these disappearances unsolved. I think it's a misunderstanding of what truly went on after Connip got home that night I think is the part that is misunderstood. But that's me. But you want to check that podcast out. I've not listened to it yet. It may stink. It may be great. but. Um, It's called Partners in Crime, and the one you should be looking for is being hosted by – are they husband and wife? I think they may be. uh, It's the Dorfmans, D-O-R-F-M-A-N are the hosts. Next update. Tyler North. Tyler North was a 27-year-old from Harlan County, Kentucky. He was the father of two and loved hunting and fishing. On the evening of Sunday, June 24, 2018, Tyler left his sisters. He was allegedly headed home. However, Tyler turned into a local park. Instead, he was never seen again. We now know that he was lured there by his ex-wife for sex. They had actually been getting together since their divorce for sex in this particular time. It is believed that uh, the ex-wife was there with her new boyfriend. They killed Tyler, uh, torched his truck, but eventually the truck was found. Tyler's remains were found, and the update is here in 2023. I'm thinking we should be uh, looking for a trial trial here unless the ex-wife and her man uh, take a plea. That is the update. Just to tell you, the trial has not happened yet. I'm not even sure if it's on a docket anywhere, but I got to believe in 2023, if these two people choose to go to trial, that it will happen sometime. I guess to me, it sounds seems like a pretty clear cut case, but maybe not. And when that happens, that will be part of that update episode. And I'm sure I'll talk about it during the live show as well. Next update. And if you're kind of maybe going along with, uh, Unfound History, you knew this one uh, was coming up soon. Janelle Matthews. Janelle Matthews was a 12-year-old from Greeley, Colorado. She was in the chorus and had an older sister. On December 20th, 1984, Janelle was dropped off at her house after a concert. There was no one home. When her father arrived an hour later, Janelle wasn't there. She was never seen again. Her remains were found in July 2019, 35 years after her disappearance sure most of you know uh, there was a second trial in October of this year. It's, it went, in many ways, the same as the first one with, I think, a lot of the same witnesses, including myself. But the ending was different. This time around, the jury found Steve Pankey guilty, and he is going away for 20 years i guess at least is that how that works By that time he will be in his early 90s i have to believe that unless uh something i don't know what i wouldn't call it strange but some if there's some sort of appeal something it seems to me that steve Banky is going to die in jail how do I feel about this? What do I think about all of this? I was surprised that the trial, the second trial did not end in a hung jury just like the first one. I I have my doubts that Steve Pankey killed Janelle Matthews. It's nothing against the prosecution. That's nothing against the defense in either trial. That's nothing against Uh, Janelle's family or anybody else who's been affected by what has gone on over the past 37 years. I just don't simply believe that uh, the prosecution made its case. Uh, I even ran the generalities of the case on Christmas Day. I coincidentally was in the company of two lawyers. One of whom works for the the city of Pittsburgh as a um. I just I don't want to get into him. I don't want to be able to, him to be identified. But anyway, um, let's just say that um he spends a lot of time in court, and uh, both he and his wife, she is a lawyer as well, were a little at least the way I explained. The trial and the disappearance and the murder. They were both confused on how a jury could convict Steve given that the prosecution in Greeley, Colorado never was able to show that Steve was ever on that street. There was no DNA connecting him to the house or to the remains. There were no fingerprints connecting him to the house or anything else. He didn't live in the area. They lived a couple miles away. He had no business being on that street. How would he have known that he, she was going to be home alone at that time? Was he just going down door to door knocking until he got to Janelle's and found that she was alone on and on and on. How exactly did this all work? And even after the first trial from a year ago, October, 2021, at some point, maybe that update, maybe year the year ago, uh, your update from a year ago, that would be update episode number ten. Did I do it then? But I kind of went through like the step by step. How did that all exactly work? That somebody allegedly went up to the house and made the footprints, and then they got raked over. Where was Janelle when the prints got raked over? Had she, was she already dead by that time? Uh, Did you just stand idly by while the the footprints got raked up? When you really start thinking about the step-by-step process in which that would all have happened, you will start to find a lot of complications. And I have even been as provocative enough to say that I'm not totally sure that Janelle was abducted. There's no proof any violence occurred. There's no proof of that. So, and I even had somebody, the live show right after I got back from Greeley, somebody asked me in the chat during that live show, what would I have done had I been on the jury? And I said, I would have hung that jury from now to the end of time. I think the other guy mentioned during the trial by the defense by both defense teams both the um, the glass guy. The last name is, was his last name was Viorst. Steve's attorney in the first trial, and then the public defenders in the second trial. They both offered up this other guy, the guy who was visiting his mother and sister across the street, just happened to be there that evening. In so many ways. He makes a better suspect than Steve Pankey. Yes, I know his family gave him an alibi, but that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. And in fact, as one of the investigators from that time in the late 80s said, they never cleared the guy across the street. They never could prove that his alibi was true. Just what the, the family said. And then they admitted that he went out and he went after after midnight, but nobody knows where he went. If anybody saw him, nothing. So uh how bad do I feel bad for do I feel bad for Steve? Uh even if I think he didn't do it, I don't necessarily feel bad for him because he talked himself into this. He wanted uh attention for all of this and he got it. Good and hard. And that should be um, a warning sign. That should be a word of caution to anybody, guilty or not, who thrusts himself, herself into the middle of this because they want attention. Stay out of it. Now, granted, if you are guilty, would like you to talk as much as possible. But I think that I you you know where I'm going with this. We have so many people who say so many things regarding disappearances, making stuff up, wanting the attention. This is as good a good an example of any that just stay out of it. Keep your mouth shut. Stay away. Don't do this. It's wrong. If Steve wanted attention, he got it. And now he can get a different type of attention in jail, whether once again, whether he is guilty or not. So uh, I continue to believe that there's just so many questions regarding this that I don't think are ever going to be resolved. You should know that Janelle's uh, sister did send me a a message uh, about a month ago. So like November of 2022, she was very gracious. I was very gracious. Um... It's the first and only time that I've ever spoken to anybody in Janelle's family. Uh, I told them had the jury hung and it would have been a third trial, I would have gladly gone out and did what I did the first two times. But I don't ever want anybody to misconstrue, construe, misconstrue my actions there. My job is just to go out there and tell the truth. I don't have a rooting interest. I don't care except for the fact I just want the right person to go to jail. But I'm not going to lie or anything to do that. Uh, the prosecution wanted me out there. I went, I told the truth. The interview got played. It was played almost in its entirety, according to the what the judge decided was legal and they did keep a couple parts out. I authenticated it. That was truthful what I did there. It was the interview I did with Steve. I told the truth up on the stand. That's all I can do. But don't ever think that I necessarily had a rooting interest for either side. But according to um, Weld County in Colorado, that case is closed. Even though half of Janelle's remains are still missing, which is a puzzle in and of itself. And that is the update. Next update. Unique Harris. Unique Raquel Leona Harris was a 24-year-old from Washington, D.C. She was the mother of two and was getting ready to go to massage therapy school. On the night of October 9th, 2010, Unique put her children and cousin to bed. When the kids woke up the next morning, Unique was gone. She was never seen again. Uh, We now know that Isaac Moy is suspected in Unique's disappearance, um, meaning that he probably murdered her. And this is kind of like Tyler North's, uh, the update for Tyler North in that I think we should be expecting a trial uh, for this guy, Isaac Moy, M-O-Y-E, in 2023. The difference, of course, between unique's case and tyler's is that unique to my knowledge is still missing i don't believe her remains have been found either either, or they have and the prosecution's kind of keeping a tight lip on that but we should be expecting that seems a little um unclear on how unique and isaac um met or ran into each other i have to admit though that this does Kind of give off the feeling that they were at least casual friends, uh, maybe getting together for adult activities once in a while. I do not believe that Isaac was a stranger to Unique when he caused her disappearance. But we need to keep our eyes peeled for that in 2022, Uh, him going on trial, of course, if he doesn't take a plea. Next update, Toby Anderson Toby Eugene Anderson was a 16-year-old from Northern California. He was a prankster who had spent time in Juvenile Hall. During the year of 1986, Toby spent time in Selma, Oregon with his uncle and family. Everything seemed fine. Then in the fall, Toby Toby allegedly ran away, was never seen again. Two big um, updates, uh, topics for this update. Uh, First, Uh, They've gotten approval. Uh, They got approval within the last couple months to do at least one additional search in an area. Not sure if that search has been done or not. Um, But uh, you might remember there was a prior update, I think, where there were some remains found. I don't think that those are going to end up being Toby. But there was uh, talking with Denise recently, uh, there was a search that went on or is going to go on in 2023, and then the other update is that there was a woman who has hesitated to talk for a long time, and finally, uh, and there's reason to believe that she might, I'm not necessarily saying she knows something about Toby's disappearance, but... She's been reluctant to talk uh, to police for a lot of years, but that has finally happened. Not sure where it's going to go. Let's just say she would be in a position to maybe know things after the fact. Just leave it at that. So I I got the feeling from Denise, um, of course, for a disappearance that is now 36 years old, almost 37 years old, that maybe trying to very slowly move in a positive direction here. I know Denise is uh, working very hard to do that. Of course, the older disappearance gets, the, the generally the tougher it gets. Maybe some it's not all the time, but I think that's a general rule. So she has a work cut out for her, but I think uh, this woman going to police finally opening up at least a little bit could move things forward. And as I think I've stated in a couple prior updates for Toby's disappearance, there is an idea out there that his disappearance could be connected to someone else. But uh, still, I can't really get into that publicly. Next update, Audrey Heron. Audrey May Heron was a 31 year old from Freehold, New York. She was a nurse and the mother of three. On the night of August 29th, 2002, Audrey left her job in Catskill to make the 20-minute drive home. Audrey never arrived. She and her Jeep were never seen again. First update I should uh, uh, make a point to say is that uh, her daughter, Audrey's daughter, Cynthia who was a guest on the episode She Got Married, so maybe you want to send a congratulations to her. It wasn't like within the last week or anything, but, uh, sometime this year she did get married after, uh, she was on Unfound. uh, but for the purposes of this update episode, um, a few months ago, adventures with purpose, a couple, um, guys from that group, not the guy who is now in trouble, but a couple of them went up to that area Looked around in the um, the bodies of water, and really, they're not even rivers; they're more like creeks. And did not find anything. I cannot say that I'm surprised by that. I think it's uh, I'm perfectly willing to believe that Audrey drove off drove off the road for some reason in her jeep, and I, I can perfectly believe that. Um, but just did not lend itself to her going into a body of water that would have been able to hide the vehicle this long. Uh, The only way that could have happened is if she really went out of her way, something very, very unusual happened. And I'm still inclined to believe that she was not actually headed home that night, but was maybe going up to her parents because they were coming home uh, from Florida with Sancia, and I think may I'm guessing Audrey might have had the plans to surprise them or something, and something happened between the hospital and their house, and that uh, she would have been driving in a totally different direction. But eventually, for purpose, got involved uh, for a few days and did not find anything. Like I said, I'm not surprised. I give them all the credit in the world for giving it a shot, but I think that this disappearance. Is not that kind of disappearance. If she went off the road, uh, Audrey, Audrey is still in her jeep uh, somewhere on land in the woods, oh, off a curve or over the guardrail or something like that, not in a river or lake or anything like that. My belief. Next update Lonine Rogers. Lonine Ray Rogers. Lonnie, to those who loved her most, was a 29-year-old from Sagertown, Pennsylvania. She was deaf and the mother of two. On the night of January 7, 1981, Lonnie was at home with her children and husband. After putting the kids to bed, Lonnie's husband claimed she left with another man. She was never seen again. The update here is I want to tell you about uh, the book that Allison wrote. Allison is Lanine's daughter. She was the guest for the episode. I hope you will find it. Check it out. I will admit I've not read it yet, but that does not keep me from wanting all of you to check it out and read it. I just have not had an opportunity. You know um, how busy I am. The book is called A Daughter's Journey and Story of Resilience. Like I said, it is by Lonnie's daughter, who is the guest, Allison Dyker, D-U-I-K-E-R. I hope you will find it. Check it out. And please let her know that you heard about her book on Unfound. That's the update. Next update, Paul Sanders. Paul David Sanders was a 17-year-old from Mesa, Arizona. He was originally from Missouri and very athletic. On August 14th, 2001, someone, the person may or may not have been Paul, driving Paul's truck was pulled over by law enforcement in Tucson. A chase ensued in which the driver escaped. The truck was later found wrecked several miles away with no signs of Paul. He was never seen again. Um, Just in general, I'm going to read a statement, but just in general, a lot going on behind the scenes for... This particular disappearance, um, work being done by my assistant, Carrie, by a longtime listener of Unfound, Jill, uh, working with Paul's sister, Jessica. But here is the statement that they allowed me to read that I really can't cannot, at this point go into any of the details and work that they're doing as instructed by them. Presently, there have been changes in Paul's case, more agencies are interested in the case, and they have offered their involvement due to other missing persons in the area. Uh, Paul is presently being ruled out by DNA in two cases. And I can tell you that that only barely, barely, barely scratches the surface. But at this time, uh, these people who are doing this work, and I appreciate all of them... um, They would just like everything uh, be kept very close to the vest right at this point. So that's all I'm going to say, but there are things going on. Next update, Ryan Stuka. Ryan John Marcus Stuka was a 20 year old from Alberta, Canada. He had a close group of friends and two younger sisters in the early morning hours of February 17th, 2018, In Sun Peaks, British Columbia, Ryan left the party to walk the short distance home. Ryan never arrived. He was never seen again. Much like the update for Lonnie Rogers, I want to tell you about a book that is now available. It's called Missing From Me. It's written by Ryan's mother, Heather, who was the guest for that episode. Heather Stuka, S C S H. Let me do that again. Heather Stuka, S-H-T-U-K-A. And I hope you will check the book out. Once again, I've not had a chance to read it uh, because of my schedule. But uh, I I know many of you do have the time to read books such as these. And I hope you will do so. And if you do, please let Heather know that you heard about her book on this update episode. Once again, it's called Missing From Me. Written about uh, Heather and, and Ryan's disappearance. And it's by his mother. Uh, Heather Stuka, S-H-T-U-K-A. We'll now move on to updates for the Unfound Now episodes, starting with Kirsten Bruggeman. She disappeared January 2nd of 2021 from Indianapolis, Indiana. I guess the update for hers is that her disappearance—how uh, do I put it in 21st century lingo— has finally become a thing. Uh it, my perception is that I covered her disappearance only maybe a month after she went missing, um maybe 2 months after she went missing and there was virtually nothing out there about her except the news story, news stories about her missing, going missing. And then through 2021 into de- I would say my perception early to 20 early 2022 not much went on. But here in 2022 now suddenly her disappearance has got a lot of coverage. It seems like more people who knew her have uh, become more comfortable talking about her disappearance. There've actually been some YouTube videos and other podcasts have covered her disappearance. Uh, in depth and a lot of people analyzing it you go to like for example com, and it's been very interesting for me to watch that happen because when i did her unfounded now episode there was nobody talking about it but now not quite uh coming up in a few days um on the uh, sadly on the two year anniversary of her disappearance. Now it seems a lot of people are taking a closer look at what happened that night. I have to tell you my, my guess is that there was no foul play who knows what was going on in Kirsten's Kirsten's uh, mind that night. If this was a guy who went missing under the same circumstances, then there would definitely be no chance of foul play. But Being she's a woman walking late at night, I guess there is the chance she could have got abducted. But the way she left, the way she took off, where she went, tells me that she had something in mind. Just the way I look at it. But I'm glad to see her disappearance is getting more attention. Maybe that will get it solved. Next update. Michael Vaughn, this little boy, went missing from Fruitland, Idaho, on July 27th of 2021. Suddenly there's a lot going on, and I'm going to read an article uh, regarding it. Uh, after more, and, and this is an article just within, this is just within the last couple months, as you would ex- suspect, given this is an uh, update episode. We only cover information that's come out in the last four months. After more than a week of excavating a backyard and searching a house on 1102 Red Wing Street in Fruitland, Fruitland Police Department announced Thursday during a press conference that now that the now six-year-old Michael Vaughn, who went missing on July 27th, 2021, was not found in the backyard of a home the two people lived in at the time of Vaughn's disappearance. Sarah Wandra, 35, who lived in the home on July 27th, 2021, has been charged with failure to report the death of Michael Vaughn and remains in the... Payette County Jail. Her husband, 30-year-old Stacy Wandra, is currently in custody in the Washington County Jail on unrelated charges. However, Fruitland PD Chief uh, J.D. Huff said they believe Vaughn's body was buried in the Wandra's backyard and then moved to another location sometime later. All human remain canine dogs used in the search alerted in the yard, Huff said during the press conference. Ground penetrating radar also detected anomalies in the yard. The Fruitland police chief later specified they found additional evidence in the home that is being processed, but could not speak to what it was. I've also announced the identities of two more people thought to have had firsthand knowledge in the abduction of Vaughn Brandon Shirtliff, 30, believed to be somewhere in North Dakota, and Adrienne Lucienne, 32, believed to be somewhere in Toledo, Ohio, floating around between there and California. Both Shirtliff and Lucienne were staying with the Wandras at the time of Michael's disappearance. The window of time for cooperation is coming to a close, the police chief said. According to court records, Shirtliff has a warrant for his arrest in Canyon County. The warrant is not extraditable, Huff told KTVB, meaning officers cannot send Shirtliff back from North Dakota on that specific warrant. Even with four people believed to be involved in some way, Huff said there still are more people out there with knowledge of what happened to Vaughn. And where his remains could be, he said more charges are forthcoming. The tip that led investigators to the yard came from one of the four people who lived in the house at the time. But he will not say who, just that it was extremely credible. The tip led to a warrant, which later led to Sarah wandra's arrest. Police began searching the home late on November 11th of 2022. I understand what police has said. It's not correct, Sarah wandra told the judge during her arraignment. Wander was later found mentally incompetent to proceed and was issued to be committed. Even with the remains of Vaughn still missing, Huff said, that it is believed Sarah Wandra will remain in custody. Neither of the Wanderers have any relation to the Vaughn family, police said, even though their house is just two-minute drive away from where Michael Vaughn was last seen. A search was also conducted in Kuna, Huff said, but he could not specify who the home belonged to. Investigators will be, will be using ground penetrating and trading radar on Friday to look for any anomalies in the neighbor's yard. Huff told KTVB after the press conference that the remains dogs did not alert on the yard, but they will not leave any stone unturned. The neighbors are being cooperative, he said. When we finally reach the conclusion of the investigation, and I can assure you that we will, all those who have knowledge of Michael's disappearance and have failed to report it or hindered our investigation will be pursued. There is a moment in time to do the right thing and bring your information forward and cooperate. The Fruitland team, along with their investigative help of Idaho State Police, the FBI and Idaho Mountain Search and Rescue are committed to finding Vaughn. We will not stop until we uncover the truth in its entirety. I got to be honest, I don't know what to make any of this. I don't know how you take seriously a woman who they've deemed to be mentally incompetent. I realize what they say. Well, the dogs hid the, in the backyard and there were anomalies in the yard and all of this. It's very common in disappearances, and it turns out a lot of those times it's just not true. Um, There was another article. When this all started happening, I read a different article for the Unfound Live show, I don't know, a month ago maybe? Longer than that ago. And this Wander woman, Sarah Wander, she just doesn't sound like she's all there. And of course she's been deemed mentally incompetent, but in that story... It was very obvious. She said she knew something. She said she didn't know anything, but her husband did, and then she changed her mind. And I don't know. Certainly, I mean, there's no law of physics you know, getting in the way of the idea that, that she and her husband and these two other guys could have done something to this little kid. But I don't know if I'm going to believe it be- because Sarah Wondra says it. So, I, I, why do I always have to, I, I think a lot of people probably read this and are like, oh my, that's great news, but me, I read it, and it does, does not phase me that much at all, it just doesn't, a lot of weird people out there, anomalies, and you start talking about, well, there are anomalies in the dirt, well, there, was there a hole there or not, Don't start talking to me about anomalies. Was there a hole there at one time or not? And we know, and all of you know how I feel about dogs. But that's an update. I guess it's better than nothing. But I'm still not convinced any of these people had anything to do with his disappearance. If you remember, originally it was believed that one of Michael's, um, he had been left behind with some adult family member. And then the other people came home and the person's like, "Well, I don't know where Michael went." So it was a lot of suspicion on this person. Now they're looking at strangers two blocks away. I don't know. I would not be be surprised if none of this goes anywhere. Not to be negative. Moving on. Next update, Wendy Guessing. From the story comes from Crest Hill, Illinois. Close family and acquaintances of missing Crystal resident Wendy Gessinger are losing hope that the longtime girlfriend of Pizza by Marci- Marcelloni owner Scott Harris is still alive. Harris shares the same sentiments. On Wednesday, um, this, uh, Juliet Patch's editor asked if Harris believes his girlfriend of nearly 15 years is still alive. I sure hope so, but after this long, how do you hold on? Harris replied, I don't know the answer to that question. Wendy Guessing went missing uh, from that area on June 12th of 2021. So she's been missing for about a year and a half. Um, Guessing, who was 50 at the time, disappeared near the middle of her work shift on June 12th, 2021, which was a Saturday. She was scheduled scheduled to work from for, from about 4 p.m. until close. Uh, I talked to her mom last night. Harris told Juliet Patch during Wednesday's interview. Guessing's mother, who now lives in Morris. Illinois is starting to fear her daughter may not be alive anymore, given the passage of time. Harris said there has been no activity on his girlfriend's bank account or credit card since her disappearance 16 months ago. None of the Juliet area officers investigating the case have recovered any of the clothes that guessing wore to work on the evening of her disappearance. The Cresthill couple shared a house on Hosmer Lane and did so for many years. Harris said he usually communicates with Crestal Police Department Connor Sweeney, who's a detective on multiple occasions every month. I just don't know where they're at with things," Harris said in one of their recent conversations. Cresthill's detectives inquired about his missing girlfriend's credit cards. It sounded like to go over what she had. Harris explained inside his house. Harris said he still display, displays pictures of guessing. He's not gotten rid of her clothes and stuff. On Wednesday, Patch noticed the takeout restaurant's interior decorated with black cats, jack o' lanterns, creepy mouses, and a picture pic, uh, creepy monsters. And a picture of three witches that make scary noises if you press a button. I do not know why that was included in that article. But there was a search recently uh, that came in on a tip and nothing was found. I would not rule out that sometime here uh, coming into 2023, and you should know I'm recording most of this episode on December 28th of 2022, I would not rule out that Sometime in 2023, we tried to cover Wendy's disappearance as a full Friday episode. Uh, It just kind of falls right into um, all the demographics of disappearances that we usually cover. Adult, possible foul play, a lot of information. Uh, Of course, this boyfriend who it doesn't seem to me is suspected in any way. Uh, in her disappearance. So there's someone who's really good to talk to. Um, probably going to put it on my list of things to do, even though we've already covered it as an Unfound Now, but that was right when it happened way back in 2021. In 2023, we'll be coming up uh, close to the time of um, two years since she went missing. Of course, I hope she is found alive before then. But it's just it just seems to me like that kind of disappearance. Maybe Kirsten, uh, Kirsten Bergman's is kind of the same. Just not as much uh, information there, maybe, at this point. But certainly with Wendy guessing, uh, a lot to talk about. It seemed there was <clears throat> somebody who'd come into the pizza place, and then she left with this guy, and she wasn't supposed to leave early, so... Maybe we can get into more of what was going on there. I just have to say off the top of my head, maybe Wendy had some sort of addiction or something going on, and that's what she had to take care of, and then something happened. But I don't know, won't know. I've never spoken to anybody in her family or her boyfriend. Uh, this guy, last name Harris, who's mentioned in the article. But seems like they're trying to do things. It seems like, given that somebody did come to this story... I That's the way I remember it. That, Or maybe somebody came in earlier and then she left right after that person was there. Something like that that could figure out who this person is. But this disappearance is still unsolved. So it mustn't be that straightforward, which then, of course, additionally lends itself to a disappearance that we absolutely have to cover on Unfound. Next update. Stephen Salazar. The remains of a man who has been missing from Harrisburg since December of 2021 were found in the Susquehanna River last week. This article, I think, um, came out late uh, September, early October of 2022. According to the Lancaster County Coroner's Office, 61-year-old Stephen Salazar was last seen on the Interstate 83 Bridge in Harrisburg on December 23rd. On September 29th, two kayakers reported finding human skeletal remains on Well Weiss Island, the coroner's Office said. Members of the coroner's Office went to the island around 7 p.m. and worked with state police to evaluate the scene over the course of two days. Authorities found multiple skeletal parts. A forensic odontologist, I, hope I got that right, helped examine the remains of the Lancaster County forensic at the forensic uh, Lancaster Forensic Center. And we were able to positively identify them as Salazar. Um, you may remember in that Unfound Now, what happened was he was going somewhere and went across. He was on a highway, went across the Susquehanna Bridge on this highway, and at the other end of the bridge, he got into a wreck. And witnesses, whether they were actually involved in the wreck or were not, stated that Stephen automatically jumped out of his car ran back to the bridge and jumped off of it never to be seen again and it seems we now know that these i I never doubted these um these witnesses at all maybe there were a few people out there doubting them given the the bizarreness of steven's behavior in that moment i can certainly understand that but this is what happened. I never had any doubt about it. In fact, I will go as far as to say I did not think that his remains would ever be found. Going to a river, good luck. But it took about, uh, what would it be, nine months, ten months, and his remains were found. Now, why he did all this, I don't know. I've not read anything from the family on what was going on with him. Did he... Was the wreck on purpose? Uh, was the... Could it be that the wreck was his attempt to commit suicide and that didn't happen, so he went and jumped off the bridge? Maybe. Was he on drugs or something? Could be. I just have not seen any statements from anybody close to him that could explain why he might have done what he did, where he was coming from, where he was going. None of that. This just shows you how difficult these disappearances can be to decipher Somebody doing something like this flies against everything we think we know. We know people commit suicide. We know people do strange things. But if he really wanted to jump off the bridge, why didn't he just stop in the middle of the bridge when he was crossing it and jump? Why did he get into the car wreck first? It's just – I just don't know. This is what makes uh, most recently on Unfound the disappearances of Keith Call and uh, Sandra Haley – That would be a totally different type of disappearance if just one of them had gone missing. Say it was Sandra's car up there on the Colonial Parkway and she was by herself. I think it would be much more open to the idea of her being distraught over something and going into the river. But what gets in the way of that is to believe that two people would actually do that is completely – just is not something that could ever be believable. But that's how fine the line can be from one between one scenario and another scenario. Even though the scenarios seem very similar, they're not. So Stephen Sal- Steven Salazar remains found uh, very sad. Next update: Marie Peter Toltz, a friend of hers, uh, emailed me. She went missing in L.A. back. On late eight, in late April of this year April 28th of 2022 and sometime after that a friend of hers emailed me to give me a, a bit more of the story and I don't know how much I can really go into but we had a couple emails back and forth regarding all of this and this person in the As you know, I get a lot of crazy emails, but I think this person was believable. But this person believes that Marie is on the street somewhere and doesn't want to be found. Uh, This person was also friends with Val Brooksmill, who was Marie's boyfriend. And if you will remember, the way that went down is that he went missing the year before. And there was a story written about it. And then all of a sudden, he's found deceased on the campus of a local school near where Marie lived. And then right after that, she goes missing. And even though Val was, uh, the guy was on NamUs as being missing. I don't think he was technically missing. It's just something about uh, the conversation I had. There was this person who contacted me, and now the, the idea that I get from all of this is that there might there was something going on here, I have to do with child custody or something like that. But then he ends up deceased. Uh, still not sure what to make of that. I don't think that this person who contacted me knew what to make of it either. Either. But then Marie goes missing right after that. Uh, this person does not believe it was f- a foul play or anything, but Marie had a lot of issues. She could is probably homeless out there somewhere, hoping that she's still alive. But you know, I don't know what the odds are of that. But um, so I had, did have somebody who told me a lot more uh, information. On all this, I just don't know how much I can really go into. But neither of these uh, disappearances. Um, just don't know how, uh, they're very unique, both of them, especially when one person shows up, unfortunately deceased, and then the partner then goes missing herself. So Marie, if you're out there, hope you're alive. I hope you will come uh, back to all of your friends and family. Um, but, uh, very sad, uh, what has happened between her and her boyfriend Val over the last couple years. Next update dylan rounds and um i'll get into this in a moment but Lucin, uh utah he went missing on may 28th of 2022 he was 20 years old you remember he was the young guy who was uh farming his own land out there in the middle of nowhere in utah went missing and there were allegations that uh, a guy who was kind of i guess squatting on this piece of land might have caused dylan's disappearance and the not going to go through all of the uh, details, but you'll remember Dylan's boots were out there and then his truck was somewhere else. There's really no update. There is no new information in the last four months. But I think this uh, – it's certainly not a lesson to me because I think I said this uh, when I covered this as an Unfound Now back – I guess it would have been in June or July – That everybody has to get comfortable with the idea that these kinds of disappearances or even murders that seem like they're going to be solved very quickly are not. People were going crazy about, oh, this guy definitely did it regarding Dylan's disappearance. This guy did it, that did it. Oh, this is going to be solved and they're going to find him right away. Here we are, almost 2023, and there's nothing going on. So... I I just have to go back to what I thought originally. I think that Dylan disappeared all by himself. Despite all these uh, felons and, and everything else uh, that went on, gun charges against these uh, people who were not supposed to have guns because of their criminal records. Just looking at the evidence the way I did five months ago, it just didn't seem to me that there was foul play regarding all of so but this this should maybe be a lesson to everybody. When you hear something like this and you think it's so obvious, sometimes that is just not the way it goes. So Dylan Rounds is still missing. We've now come to the final update and I want to remind all of you after this update is done, we will have a, a long moment of silence as I read off the names of all the people featured on Unfound and Unfound Now. The uh, final update is for Elizabeth Capaldi. Coincidentally, it was the most recent Unfound Now episode. Imagine that. The husband of a missing woman from Bucks County on Friday led police to a location where her remains were found, sources told NBC10. The sources said said 55-year-old Elizabeth Beth Capaldi, husband- Capaldi's husband, Stephen Capaldi, was taken into custody Thursday and led police to the remains the next day. The remains found near Philadelphia International Airport have not been officially identified as those of Elizabeth Capaldi. Capaldi was last seen at her Sellersville home where she lived with her husband near the intersection of High and East Church Streets, back on October 10th of 2022. On Friday, crime scene investigators spent several hours searching the home and the property behind it. They brought along cadaver dogs. She was reported missing by her daughter two days later. That's what kind of tipped me off that there was probably foul play. Investigators said a few personal items, including her wallet, were also missing from the home. Most of her belongings, including her cell phone, keys, and car, were left behind, however. Capaldi worked from home and was not known to travel outside the area alone. She mainly stayed in or around the house unless running errands or with family members, according to investigators. It's just been my experience that people don't go missing unless they intend to go missing. There was a horrific accident or there was some terrible foul play. Bucks County District Attorney Matt Weintraub said in October, Matt, you don't know anything about disappearances. Now, to add on to that story, and originally when this episode came out, uh, and it, the weird thing is it came out early for all of you YouTube, uh, members, channel members. And then a week later I released it to the public. And right around the time I released it to the public is when the husband was charged and led, led investigators to her body. So this is a first I did the unfound now episode. And before I could make it public, it's already, I guess, solved. Now you should know something to add into all of this when they f- Uh, I want to add into all of this is that when they found her remains he had cut her up. She was not all in one piece. So what brought this on? Hard to say as I continue to believe with most of these kinds of disappearances where husband has surely caused his wife to disappear or boyfriend caused his girlfriend to disappear Usually these are crimes of passion. These are not things that are planned out. Spur of the moment, argument goes too far. Maybe it's an abusive, physically abusive relationship anyway, but um, maybe it's been covered up. Maybe the woman just hasn't wanted to go to the hospital. A lot of different um, scenarios, but then it goes that one step further and she ends up deceased. So he's in custody. Not much of a surprise in my mind, although I will say that he... Bothered to cut her up into pieces is something that I will not forget. I usually dismiss that in disappearances such as these. Maybe I should start taking that a little more seriously when we look back at disappearances like Marion Hurley, Angela Green, Rosemary Rapp, Ellen Sloan, Daniel Sleeper, and a whole bunch of others. And that completes the update Part of this update episode. Now, could you please pause whatever you are doing as we remember all the missing people featured on Unfound and Unfound Now? Susie Lyle, Jason Jolkowski, Jesse Foster, Rosemarie Gayhart, Ben Charles Padilla, Kelly Rothwell, Joshua Guimond, Donnie Smatlack, Andrea Bowman, Robin Abrams, Regina Marie Boss, Christopher Hyde, Jeff Nichols, Rebecca Gary, James Walker, Teresa Butler, Charlotte Paulus, Lola Catherine Fry, Eric Franks, Jeff Joseph, Donna Michalenko, David Madotte, Kent Monroe, and Omar Shearer, Claudia Wells, Peggy and Patty McDaniel, Shannon Turner, Brandy Wells, Kleshindra Hall, Ronnie Russell, Esther Westenbarger, Shane Fell, Ashley Eifert, Brandon Williams, Craig Freer, Pamela Golden, Chip Campbell, Amanda Deguio, the passengers and crew of Flight 370, April Pitzer, Jennifer Wilkerson, Kent Jacobs, Aaron Gilbert, Tammy Leppert, Crystal Morrison, Chris Turner, Linda K. Carroll, Nikki McCown, Helen Diamond, Laura Bible, and Ashley Freeman, Lucinda Hules, Ashley Kohler, Debbie Lowe, Patrick Beavers, Clinton Nelson, Troy Galloway, Patty Action, Danielle Bell, Evelyn Hartley, Dal Phillips, Tyler Stice, Bill Underhill, Patricia Taylor, Aaron Barnard, Jeremy Burt, Brian Sullivan, Nikki Wells, Marina Bolter, Mandy Stokes, Greg Brooks, Rebecca Henderson, Dominique Holly Grisham, Tiffany Daniels, Nicholas Masuchi. Donald Irwin, Billy De Silvestro, Renee Yergain, Mikkel Biggs, Al Copper, J.R. Mollahan, Jamie Bowen, Travis Robertson, Rosemary Rapp, Kristen Modaferi, Zoe Campos, Sean Guignard, Thomas Brown, Amanda Fravel, Julie Early, Ellen Sloan, Rene Lamana, Nico Lisi, Leah Peebles, Melissa Hasley, Kimberly Raymer, Stephen Kocher, Bonnie Joseph, Immaculate Basil, Bobby Campbell, Kimberly Norwood, Alyssa Turney, Bobby Tennyson, Dale Kerstetter, Lacey Buenfil, Peggy McGuire, Jansen Brewer, and Daniel Braden, Robert Wayne Cox, Lucas Degerness, Stephen Adams, Ashley Summers, Bonnie Degas and Jeremy Degas, Judith Emke, Jessica, Han- Jessica Hamby, Tim Beauchart, Devin Bond, Juanita Nelson, Desiree Ferris, Angie Yarnell, Deborah Asbury, Sean Koski, Mary Lands, Devin Brown-Busetta, Shanna Boido, Travis Murrow, Keith Fetter, Layla Faulkner, Megan Lancaster, Kelly Sims, Jack Hemby, Barbara Frame, Dorianne Myers, Austin Pivo, Christine Hamilton, Monica Appleton, Jonathan Estes, Molly Miller and Colt Haynes. Donnie Martin III. Kamisha Hollis. Lisa Wallace. Tammy McKittrick. Julie C. Stephanie Clemens. Andy Chapman. Trevor Nichols. Tiffany Johnson. Tyler North. David Kesey. Lucero Sarabia. Brandi Myers. JL Hamblin. Bradley Allen. Timothy Guy, Janelle Matthews, Ronald McNutt, Cameron Remmer, Tammy Arthur, and Chad Peters, Jesse Ross, Lisa Shuttleworth, Jackson Miller, Patrick Reed, Jeremy Goodwin, Mary Jane Van Gilder, Phyllis Corbin, Eric Alvarado, Cassandra Ramirez, April Andrews, David Hardy Jr., Dennis J. Lushball, Christine Nichols, Chris Sanders, Danielle Sleeper, Julie Wefflin, Shelva Rafty, Rodney Kaiser, Chris Mittendorf, and Christina Branham, Gregory Howes, Brian Cook, Charles Thompson, Jessica Garino, Jacob Weeks, Jackie Bucky Letney, Joe Bain, Vanessa Oren, Jennifer Casper Ross, Robbie Hurt, Unique Harris, Doug Jones, Deborah Bowman, Bradley Brooks, Angela Green, Jody Husentrut, Brennan Smoky, Riles Chapman, Marion Hurley, Gayla Shaper, Caleb Powell, Chelsea Kobo, Bonnie Santiago, T.J. Murray, Noah Davis, Patty Dudek, Ben Archer, Jake Lachelet, Sky Burnley, Kayleen Oling, Stephanie Hartwell, Nyleen Marshall, Kaya Taylor, Pearl Pinson, Brenda Condon, Alwyn Albright, Sky Tossick, Sandy Knipe Brian Schaefer, Teresa Woolard, Toby Anderson, David Schrader, Chance Engelbert, Julianne Gillet, Rachel Sirks, Sean Antill, Randy Duran, Rashawn Francis, Amanda Ward Romine, Crystal Bailey, Brenda Sika, Laverta Sorel, Nicholas Shin, Kevin Newen, Ashley Simpson, Leanne Hosberg, Alicia Markovich, Audrey Heron, Lonnie Rogers, Beatrice Viela, Allie Lowitzer, Jamie Peterson, Belinda Blanar, Jordan Carvalho, Christian Balky Thompson, Paul Sanders, Jennifer Perry, Andrea Knebel. Sebastian Kelly, Marianne Verdechia, Marcella Krolzi, and Mary Regan, Sue Swaddell, Mark Heimbaugh, Dub and Chance Wackerhagen, Kimberly Wilson Talley, Harry Milligan, Paul Egan, Steve Davis, Douglas Crawford, Rhonda Smith, Ryan Stuka, Daniel Villarreal, Mary Watkins, Bradley Streisner, Justin Gaines, Jacqueline Cooper, Holly White, Michaela Bally, Chase Lackey, Belinda Brewster, The Pickering Six, Jay Boyle, Michael Cummins, Danny Higgins, Chad Smith, Robbie Rumbold, and Jamie Lafayette. Brenda Davidson, Milda McQuillan, Kyle Fleischman, Paris Hobson, Bernard Rustness, and Peggy McKay, Jessica Stacks, Natasha and Susan Carter, Angela Freeman, Mark Allen, Mary Cox, Jamie Valdez, Jace Martin, Brandon Rashar, Keith Call, and Sandra Haley. Linda Stoltfus. Erica Lloyd, Mary Lane Carter, Stephanie Hollingsworth, Corey Dale Moore, Alan White, Jason Landry, Ilea Scheibel, Kirsten Brueggemann, Mark Penella, Cynthia Ba Traway, Louis Davila, Candy Gonzalez, Justin Siwek, Michael Vaughn, Wendy Gessing, Shannon Miller, Glenda Parton, and Dwayne Selby. Heidi Plank, Bo Mann, Stephen Salazar, Lindsay Schobelock, Jordan Simeon, Marie Peter Toltz, Dylan Rounds, Dana Smithers, Gregory Peterson, Caitlin Rose Case, Lorenzo Holmes Jr., Elizabeth Capaldi. Please, if you have the time and passion, please contact these missing persons families to help them in their quests to find their missing loved ones. And that's the program. Right now, while you are in your podcast platform, Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, wherever, give Unfound a five-star review, a thumbs up, whatever that platform allows. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Densel, and you've just finished this episode of Unfound.